Welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net, where we delve into issues of tech leadership in the public sector. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. Here now is our host, Dr. Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute, now a division of Fusion Learning Partners. Hi there, this is Alan Shark, and welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net. Today we have a great conversation going with Sophia Masasha. Sophie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to see you, Alan. So Sophie and I first met at George Mason University, where I teach, and I was surprised to see one of my favorite neighbors along with uh, Sophia, and it was like, wow. What are you doing here before I realized that she was a featured panelist? And so that's going to be a, the, much of what we're going to talk about uh, in this discussion. And this was an event only a couple of weeks ago where I am also part of the uh, George Mason Center for the Advancement of Human-Machine Partnership. Doesn't that sound interesting? So, so if you don't mind, let me just set the stage here. You know, you're someone I look on is on a mission. You're here to accelerate the adoption of immersive and emerging technologies. And given your background, boy, you've certainly done that. Um, you have, between being behind the scenes, on camera and center stage, you have repelled multimedia initiatives dedicated to elevating education engagement with XR across diverse industry domains. You have a lot going for you. And to add to all this, you also happen to be running for public office in Virginia, which I find quite impressive. You're running for the state Senate, District 39, and your goal, which we'll talk about as well, is to better equip legislative officials with a comprehensive understanding of the opportunities emerging technologies provide. What a refreshing agenda. We don't hear that too often. So, Sylvia, again, welcome. We always start these conversations to get a sense of the lens in which you see things. So how did you, first of all, being a woman, being a woman executive, um, that's kind of a, some challenges right there in today's society. What got you interested in technology? At what age did you have certain uh, influential teachers, parents? I mean, what got you interested to begin with? Um, well, you know, growing up in, as a millennial, we had access to you know early stages of technology when I was in my early uh, teens and you know um, and then beyond. Um, so obviously got my start there in interacting with these devices and getting to learn um, through them. But really, I, I so I am a marketer at heart, and I uh, wanted to go into advertising. And then I found this company that was doing um, incredible work with technology in both the government arena as was in, in, in the R&D uh, departments of, uh, of DARPA and the Army and such. But they were also doing a lot of cool work um, on, the, on the public side for Fortune 500 brand activations, the Final Four and the Super Bowl and this movie releases and things like that. So I was like, okay, this is a cool way for me to get into uh, into advertising is what I originally thought I wanted to do and doing using technology as an ex experiential marketing tool um, to to do that. And the company that I was with at the time uh, started getting into more of the uh, of 
the emerging technology space and, and particularly virtual reality and augmented reality and, and applying it to with the, the work they were doing both on the military side as well as on the, on the brand side. And as a marketer um, and a people person, it was easy for me to uh, to take that the uh, understanding of what the premise of these technologies are and what they are supposed to do and the effect that they're supposed to have on humans and and easily be able to understand it and apply it kind of across industry sectors of okay this is how humans react to um the, to experiences or to learning things by doing and, and kind of building those motor skills, how can we take that and apply it in these different scenarios? And that really fascinated me uh, on the uh, on the human behavior side of things. So um, so that's really kind of um, where I got my taste for for these technologies. And then I you know being on the external facing, side of things and, and marketing and started getting into the PR and BD and those types of things. I was doing a lot of research and just got to learn everything there is to know about these technologies, about the key players of, um, of, of who's doing what and what the capabilities are and what the future growth trends are of these technologies. And it, it's just fascinating. It's amazing. You know, talk about timing. One of the, um, I think, great attributes people look for today, more than they might have five years ago, is emotional intelligence. And it's, you know, having met you, it sounds, and just listening to your background, it just sounds like what a perfect opportunity for you right now, when people are really looking for people's skills in technology to be able to understand applications and explain them to the various audiences. You yeah, must enjoy that part, right? I, I do enjoy that part. Um, you know, I'm not as technical as some of my peers might be on the development side, but quite frankly, it's it's it, we it's kind of a match made in heaven because a lot of those guys are super smart and knowledgeable and and, and know what they're doing on the back end. But for them to explain it in a resonating manner to um, you know to decision makers or to the consumer. Uh, consumer population is is tough for them to understand like what the the impact is on the so what side um and so that's what i like to do i like to get into the roi i like to get into the data um and and uh and and understand really you know why does it really matter at the end of the day yes it's cool it's a cool way to experience new media and new technology but really with everything that um, we hope to have um, adopted by people. There has to be, um, there has to be a reason why they would do that on a grand scale. And there are are very, uh, there there are there are a lot of reasons why, uh, both on a consumer level as well as an enterprise level, why they would um, take up these types of technologies. Excellent. So I, I note that you serve as vice president of the DC chapter of the VR AR Association. I think most people will recognize VR as virtual reality and AR is augmented reality. But we also talked about you is that you are very much into XR. And I think there are some people who might be less familiar with that term. So help us under, help us navigate these terms, <laughs> if you would. It, it's funny because people in our own industry were kind of like making it up as we go to and kind of building consensus, consensus around different terminology and definitions and kind of moving forward. And then there's new things that pop up 
always, every day. So as we know it right now, so XR is this umbrella terminology for extended reality, or as I've discovered in um, in military, they, they reference it as cross reality a lot of the times, which kind of makes sense with the X. Um, but it encompasses... Um, the it encompasses the best of both worlds well so vr which it fully immerses us in virtual environments um and ar overlays digital elements onto our real world so vr you're occluding yourself from um from your environment and you're putting yourself in a completely different environment like the like the moon and augmented reality which most of us actually are more familiar with even though we probably don't know it um through Snapchat filters and things like that, Instagram filters, it's basically enhancing your real world, right? We're putting digital elements onto our our uh, our physical world, and it could be used for entertainment reasons, like the filters I just talked about, or it could be used for practical reasons, like wayfinding or maintenance and operations and those types of things. You know, when I look back and I listen to you, and we've talked about this before. I found myself over a decade ago experimenting with a project called Muni 2.0. And this was a little virtual universe. I think Second Life still exists. Um, uh, it's taken some twists and turns and became very strange for a bit of time. And here we were amongst all this craziness where you could buy yachts, boats, condos in a virtual environment. We had a Muni Gov. Uh, mm -hmm. operation that was aimed at bettering local government and interaction. The technology was so primitive. The systems were already crashing. Um, we were using technology 12 years ago. How has that all changed today? It's, it's, listen, every day we are constantly evolving. It's not like these technologies are, you know, in the future, you know, going to come, we heard the term metaverse, when is that going to come? No, we, we are already moving towards these, towards these uh, different methodologies of interacting with each other and um, the digital, the uh, digital space. Um, and now the virtual space, I call it the virtual revolution that we're, we're entering right now. Um, I think that there is a perception which was definitely true, you know, especially when these uh, like PCs first came out, you know, your mobile devices and those types of things where people thought we were losing the human connection by um, always having uh, relying on those modalities of contact. Right. Um, and now through social media, you know, email, text messaging, those types of things. Whereas now we're coming into a time where the world and the economy is being more globalized and we are doing we are interacting with people for a variety of reasons for personal or for professional reasons across the nation and across the globe and so these technologies um, and devices are essential in being able to live our day-to-day -day lives and live our professional work lives as well and and be competitive on this global scale and so um, what I find is that as it, it is very vital and very important to, to maintain, you know, uh, real life relationships and obviously doing business in the real world. But but virtual then and these digital mediums offer a, a new way to engage with the, the public sector. It, 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 does, it allows for new ways to um, create opportunities for money making for people 
just like the, you have, we have Shopify where people can uh, create stores for the products that they're selling. It's going to be a new wave of opportunity to be able to do things like that on an individual level. Um, so we're going to, we're going to see more and more that there's more opportunities that are going to be opened up um, for learning, um, engaging with our community for uh, creating businesses through these mediums, it's just going to continuously evolve. And, you know, now with using the internet and our mobile devices, everything is on these, in these 2d screens, right? Where we're reading text, we're watching videos, we're looking at pictures and that's the way that we interact with, um, with this content. Whereas where we see things going is that whether it's through these 2d mediums or through a, a headset, a device like that, we're going to get into these more, uh, 3D visualized kind of realms where um, a business is no longer going to be represented by a 2D website. It's going to be represented in context of what the business is virtually in these 3D immersive environments where we can actually walk into the business and experience the product, experience the service, talk to a customer service agent in virtual form uh, or something that's um, uh, integrated with AI, like an AI chatbot and those types of things. And it just makes um, doing business a lot more engaging online. Um, and it gives you a lot more opportunity as well. I, I can see that, you know, I recently uh, was trying on pairs of glasses uh, virtually. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, you take a picture of yourself and then you could take all these different eyeglasses and see what it would look like. And you could turn your head either way and you get a good sense of how it fit without ever having to go to a physical store. Um, but you said something that um, I think is important and that is one of the biggest and most significant changes is this headset that we talk about. And at this point, you know, that seems to be what most people view as VR or, or VA or XR. Um, and I think that's pretty impressive. I've, I've been to a Van Gogh exhibit and I felt I was in the art and I thought, wow, what a beautiful example. How has these headsets gotten better? I mean, I assume the prices will come down. Um, so how has that technology gotten better? And then do you see a future in the near future where we may have some projection equipment in a, in a room in our home that frees us from that? So let me hear your vision on this. Yeah. So first and foremost, it's important to note that you can access most of these um, of these platforms or these experiences on a multitude of devices. It doesn't necessarily need to be in a headset. Most uh, uh, most um, applications that you'll see are now available for uh, on uh, through for download on your computer, your mobile device, or now through this um, new medium called WebXR, which is the idea of being able to access immersive content through your web browser. Um, so the goal is to be accessible through all devices, and that's what we're working towards. Now, going toward uh, to back to the headset question, of course, when you're when you're engaging with um, immersive three D environments, it's always better to be in a 3D environment physically. So that's what the headset does for you. Um, and particularly virtual reality, I'll give an example. Um, like I said, it, when, when you are 
you're completely occluding yourself and you are you're able to literally look left and right and see what is to your left and right. I don't have to teach you how to use these technologies. I put you in the headset and in a second you understand exactly what it's what it's doing. Um, now, there are so many headsets on the market right now. Um, anywhere from the the MetaQuest, uh, I believe there's the the MetaQuest Three is out right now, um, all, and that's a consumer grade headset. To something like the Vario or the HTC Vive, which are more they have more enterprise grade headsets that are out in the multi thousand dollar range, and um, and then Apple Apple Vision. Uh, has, Apple Vision Pro has has another line out that's coming out soon. They just announced this past summer. That's in the a few thousand dollar range as well. Now we'll see where that goes. I know that they're more of a consumer driven company, um, but at that price point, I don't think that that it's going to be adopted by many consumers. It's maybe the early adopters. But what I'm trying to say is that there are devices for everyone and for every use case. Some may be more capable than the others. Some have eye tracking and face tracking and all of the things, and some don't. We have the Google Cardboard, which is like the the earliest device that I know that was out there. And that's it's literally looks like a cardboard device, and you just slip your cell phone into that. So it is so you can use your cell phone and it's in something like a Google Cardboard as a, as a viewing mechanism for three D content. You're not going to actively engage with the content, but it does allow you to see it in 3D. So um, why I mention that is that accessibility is a key factor of these technologies because we know that we're not going to get everybody to spend even a few hundred dollars on these headsets when there is not that um, that need for this and that killer application, I'd say, maybe for these technologies at the moment. Um, however, if we're talking about getting a message across to an underserved population or getting these technologies implemented in schools. There are ways to do this very easily with the technology that we already have on hand and readily, um, uh, ready access to you know, um, for cheap. Yeah. As I listen to you, I'm thinking two things. One, I'm envious because you get to play with all the latest toys because you're so well positioned. <laughs> yeah. So I want to keep in touch with you. The second thing is, you were just talking about accessibility. Boy, I can see so many applications for the physically disadvantaged um, to have a, an equal stake in a conversation or at a meeting. If they have any kind of physical infirmity or some kind, something where they don't feel comfortable in person, you know, by having themselves represented in a different fashion um, to the way they would like to be seen, um, to me, is, is, is life-changing. I also see situations where... I would love to have a day where I uh, bring in a cart and I give everybody whatever they need in my class and then share with them uh, as a curator uh, an adventure. Um, I just can see learning becoming really fun and, and, uh, and, and challenging for students because when you're in the field, literally, but really in a classroom, um, that becomes in the long run very cost effective and probably the students are going to learn even more. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, we're in the age that the information is at our fingertips at all times of the day, and even more so with the younger generation. And we're in the in the, in the days where we want instant gratification. 
and again, even more so with, with this younger generation. And there's distractions happening all around us. And, and they're already glued to these devices. So how do we leverage them then? They like to, they like to engage. They like games and those types of things. How do we leverage that in a gamified way to help people or help the, the younger generation and quite frankly, even, even older people, lifelong learners is what we call them at Meta. Um, how do we in, continue to engage them utilizing the technologies that they're already using? Um, and, and, the, and the good thing is they already know how to use it. Yeah. They need to, there, there needs to be a train the trainers type of initiative as well with these technologies, which a lot of them are, are actually open to because um, they know they need to move in that direction. Um, but it's, you know, we're already losing their attention we can easily we can easily continue to engage using these technologies. And and not only that, there's so many, there's so much more that we can do in speeding up the curve, the learning curve for learning new skills. And now I'm talking not only on the um, K through 12 side, I'm talking about workforce development as well, or you know, training at an enterprise level. Um and you know, cut costs doing that also and um, create more empathy because people are, are understanding a new contextualized environment that they couldn't necessarily go to. Um, and they're just learning by actually doing, which really sets it into memory, more so than learning how to take a test well. Um, so these are the things that we're finding uh, real promise with these, the, the utilization of these technologies. So, Sophia, you're one of the few that's very much in the cutting edge of immersive technologies. And that keeps you very, very busy. Somehow you found the time and the passion mm -hmm. to run for elected office in the state of Virginia as a state senator. Um, this is a big challenge. And I'm wondering um, what led you to that and how are things going? Yeah. So I was recently contracted by Meta on their policy team. I was engaging with congressional stakeholders um, along with people on my team to help them understand the uh, the potential value and benefits and implications of um, metaverse technologies, all inclusive of the emerging technology ecosystem, and kind of where it's where it's heading and um, how we need to regulate it and those types of things. And I came to realize that there is a huge gap in knowledge on first and foremost the true importance of understanding these technologies and where it's going, you know, and then on top of that, um, how to apply it and deploy and implement and regulate, like all of these things, you know, first we're convincing them that they should pay attention. And then secondly, you know, all the other things that come, that come with it when we're, when we actually decide to focus on it. So that's where I thought that I could make an impact in, um, on the policy side is kind of bringing that, that tech knowledge to uh, to the forefront and and um, and helping people understand where things are going, where we should invest in, um, how to get our society um, and our community ready for the changes that are happening now and will continue to happen in the future. That's exciting. Last question: You you really have become a role model for encouraging other women to get into tech. And yet, when I look at some of the statistics today, I'm troubled by the lack of, of young girls uh, taking math, science, um, and, and seeing technology as a, a credible pathway for them. I mean, look at yourself. I mean, you weren't necessarily gonna go into tech, but you found tech. So 
for those listening who you know might be struggling themselves in their career or have uh, relatives or kids, what advice would you give them? Because we do need more diversity in the technology universe. Yeah. Um, well, I like to say that there's, especially in the emerging technology field, like there's a place for everyone with every type of background experience that you might have in this field. I, I, so I do a podcast on my own for the VR Air Association. And the question I ask every single time is, what were you doing before you got into technology and why did you decide to do it? So we have people from first responders to healthcare professionals and, and you know, in entertainment backgrounds, all of these variety of backgrounds that have come into to the space. So um, and a variety of roles, they're not necessarily technical, you know, maybe they're more on the soft skills side, whatever it might be. Technologists can't do their job and can't develop for um, a specific purpose without that subject matter expert. So, and that's why it's the, the collaboration is very important. And I just want to harp on, on that fact that there is a place for everyone in these fields because we're literally developing them together. Um, and I don't, it is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. And there are successful initiatives like Girls Who Code, XR, um, XR Women, which is a community I co-founded. Um, and other programs that empower women to overcome obstacles in the tech industry. And there, there's there's a lot of groups out there that help to to um, bolster women's voices voices in the industry and help train them. There's a lot of free training online right now. No longer in in our industry, at least, um, there wasn't a degree in tech in this type of technology when I went to school. So while everyone in my uh, in my industry, at least at my stage in, in my career and, and beyond, are all self-taught. They all kind of fell into it. Nobody studied it in college. M most people didn't. Um, and only now we're seeing that and being implemented in college. So, so we value being self-taught, just being involved in the community, you know, getting real-world experiences there's so much free training out there, not only on YouTube, but every all of these development platforms, Unity, Unreal, um, Spark AR, which is Meta's AR platform. They all have free training yeah. for every, anybody that wants it and in all languages. So they're really trying to make it um, accessible to those that want to learn because we want to get more content creators um, to, to get on board because the devices, the technology is nothing without content. And we need to make sure that we are uh, continuing to develop content and interesting and engaging content to, to drive adoption. So it's definitely the headsets and devices need to be capable, but we also need to have um, the content that or, or is going to continue to drive adoption. So that's um, that's a big push that's happening in the industry right now. So even people who are interested in gaming and you know spent their lives on uh, on a console there's an opportunity there for you in this industry as well. The great message and the, you know, don't be afraid of tech, <laughs> not today. Um, there are so many opportunities, I hear you. Well, Sophie, we could go on for a long time. In fact, I may want to uh, do another interview and maybe six months or now, I wanna see how things turn out with your, uh, your campaign to be a state senator representing District 39. Um, they could use some help. I think most state legislatures, including Congress and the U.S., could use some help when it comes to technology policy. So I applaud you. Um, 
you're a winner no matter what, because you're educating people every stop that you make and every group that you talk to. Uh, you're very inspiring. And I very much appreciate uh, you taking the time to share your views uh, with myself and our, our listeners. Absolutely, Alan. And thank you so much for everything you're doing in the arena as well. Um, I, I've read all your stuff on on AI and how it, it it will benefit government. And I'm fully on board with everything that you're talking about, because if we if we don't if we don't jump on board and get ahead of these things, then we it will outpace us. And we definitely don't want to make we want to make sure that we're not falling behind. Um, and you're doing a great job at educating as well on that. Sophia Masasha, so inspiring. Well, until next time, as I always say, please be safe digitally and personally. You've been listening to another episode of SharkBites.net. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. And if you or someone you know has a story to tell, please let us know.